Great to have you along for the ride. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Really glad to have this guy on. He's uh, Steve, are you, uh, strictly speaking, still an FBI agent, or are you no longer with the FBI? Did they suspend you, or are you out? I'm indefinitely suspended, so I'm technically an unpaid bureau employee. Okay, so you're still employed, but they're not paying you, so you're suspended without pay. Correct. His name is Steve Friend. He is an FBI whistleblower. And the way this whole thing shook out, Steve, is is crazy to me because uh, from what I've read about you, from what I've talked to my friends who have interviewed you and talked with you, um, you're a really good guy. You love America. You want to do right from wrong. You want to make sure that bad guys and bad gals are out of society. And that's sort of why you joined the FBI, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It was my dream job. I mean, I was a police officer before, uh, 12 years total law enforcement experience, but been with the Bureau for eight years. Uh, And up until uh, I was moved over to work domestic terrorism, I'd been entirely focused on violent crime and and, uh, child pornography investigations. So really going after some of the worst of the worst. In the eight years that you were in, and again, you're still employed by the FBI, but you're not getting paid and you're indefinitely suspended. Uh, And I'll get into exactly the reasons why they they did that to you. But uh, in getting into the FBI, had you ever in the eight years had any issues uh, with your task management, responsibilities? Is there some file folder somewhere that says Steve Friend is a bad guy and did the job badly or not? Oh, no, not at all. I've had exemplary performance reviews my entire career. I actually got an award about a month before I made my uh, whistleblower disclosure and this whole thing started. So it was a precipitous fall from grace. So you're in uh, in a division that is going after child predators specifically, child pornography specifically, or that was a part of the overview of what you what you were responsible for? Well, I transferred uh, over the summer of 2021. I'd been working on Indian reservations for about seven years okay. and then uh, took the transfer to work uh, child pornography investigations, human trafficking investigations. Uh, did that for a few months. And then when the new fiscal year rolled over, uh, my division reassigned me to work domestic terrorism matters. But as I came to find out, that was almost entirely focused on January 6th investigations. And I want to get into that full throat in a second. It's Steve Friend. Steve, people can follow you on Twitter at Real Steve Friend altogether. And I just followed you a minute ago on Truth Social, Real underscore Steve Friend. Go and follow him there. There's no website at this point, right? No, no, not right now. Okay, that's cool. Um, so, uh, again, we'll send people to your social. I just want to focus on what you were working on before this whole switch happened. Um, child uh, child uh, sex predators, child pornography, human trafficking, sex trafficking. These are big, big problems in this country with the poorest border even bigger than before. Um, do people, you think, understand understand the scope of how bad this is, what's happening in our country? Absolutely not. I mean, I've said multiple times, and I tend to be you know, on the small government side of things, politically oriented myself, uh, but you could double the size of the FBI, assign it entirely to child pornography investigations, and that, that threat would not be fully assigned. So it's, it's rampant, it's a major problem, and it really broke my, my heart when I had to hear that that was going to be considered a local matter um, by the, my management and they, when they reassigned me. Well, how exactly would it be a local uh, a local matter? The FBI gets involved if it goes across state lines. I'd imagine coming across the southern border would be a big deal. Going from one state to another, and sex trafficking and human trafficking happens uh, all across the country. It's not it's not in one area. It's not like you're in Arkansas and you go from town to town. I mean, this is a major national issue. Why would they decide that the locals should handle it? Well, I think it was just a, a matter of prioritizing what what their needs were uh, to meet their budgetary, you know. Uh, predetermined numbers, and they thought that there was going to be a lot more uh, gold in them hills of the domestic terrorism side, and they wanted to throw bodies at it. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, let's get into domestic terrorism. As an FBI agent, what do you think the definition is of that, a domestic terrorist? I mean, it's it's basically just going to be a threat to the homeland by somebody who's got a, you know, a radical ideology 
it's something that you know you, it's one of those you know it when you see it type of things i think okay. more, more and you know unfortunately the the uh the demand vastly outstrips the supply in this country it's fortunate for us as as a civil, civilian population there's not really a the threat isn't existing but uh, the fbi has really staked a claim there and this huge threat that they want uh, the population to perceive so they have to really gin it up to uh, to keep the focus there in the time that you were in the FBI uh, and when you were switched over to domestic terrorism, were you going after Antifa? Were you going after Black Lives Matter? Those are those are domestic terrorist groups, and we've got proof of that. Tons of videos showing the violence and the rioting and, and, and the looting. Those are domestic terrorist groups, in my opinion. Were you going after them, or was this, in your opinion, all right-wing groups? I or or conservative, question. if you would. <laughs> Yeah, I, I asked that question uh, when I got brought over, um, and I was told that uh, you know that that threat wasn't for our area, uh, and they you know they hadn't gone after them. There had been a police officer who was killed by actually a black nationalist group when I first moved over, uh, but that investigation was handed over to the local law enforcement to handle. Uh, so really, the focus was on January sixth. Uh, every once in a while, there would be you know uh, an international terrorism uh, would blip on the radar, but anything domestic related seemed to be January sixth uh, violent. Uh, conservatives, uh, even to the point of you know following people to school board meetings. I mean, for a while, Steve, we were watching domestic terrorists like Antifa trying to burn down federal courthouses, either in Oregon or Washington State. That wouldn't be an FBI matter. It was. It was, from what I was told uh, by my special agent in charge, uh, Sherry Young. She said that the work was done there. They'd done outstanding work, even though nobody was prosecuted. So uh, you know, I guess she had a different uh, definition of successful work. He's an FBI whistleblower. His name is Steve Friend. Uh, go follow him at Real Steve Friend, and Friend is like you would normally spell it over on uh, Twitter on Truth Social at Real underscore Steve Friend. Uh, go follow him there as well. Let's get into the domestic terrorism angle of of January sixth. Now we know that uh, I've heard estimates between two hundred thousand and a million people showed up, and they were peacefully protesting. They were peacefully having their voices heard. They were listening to the president at the time, Donald Trump, speak, and then a few hundred idiots went and broke into the Capitol. We're still not allowed to see all the, all the videotape uh, on what happened that day. We know that the Capitol Police were moving barriers, telling people to come in. We know that this guy, Ray Epps, we're not allowed to ask any questions about him. Um, and he was certainly inciting. We've got four or five different examples of him on video saying we're going in. We're going to go in and take the Capitol. So uh, that happens. And I would think the domestic terrorism angle of it would be those who rioted, those who broke things, those who vandalized, those who were trespassing or whatever. Why, why, was that, why did that become a much bigger thing than anybody who's conservative at a school board meeting is suddenly to be looked at as a domestic ter- terrorist? Why, why do you think that shift happened? Just politically driven? I think there's a combination of uh, the politics and the ambition for leadership within the FBI. You know, certainly there's, as you climb the ladder, uh, in my experience at least, the, the, the politics kind of lean left, and that was going to be the incoming administration. It was going to support, you know, what their narrative was about its its opposition party. And then also the way that the FBI shaped the narrative concerning January 6th writ large. It was going to be the largest, most important investigation ever conducted within the history of the agency. It's going to way exceed uh, 9-11. And anybody who had any ambition of, you know, sending that ladder in, in the ranks in the FBI, they wanted to sink their hooks into that and say they were in some sort of supervising capacity on the largest and most important case for the agency. I mean, we've had the left-wing media constantly, left-wing big tech constantly compare 9-11 to January 6th. 
January 6th again, one person, I think two maybe, uh, died there. I think Roxanne, I don't know her full name, also died along with uh, Ashley Babbitt. And they were both on the Trump side. They were both on the side of, we want you to re-examine the election. Nobody died on the other side. No, nobody, I mean, again, you've got people who vandalized and, and did bad things. I don't support that. You don't support that. So you arrest them and you charge them, and they go through the process, why did this become a wider thing beyond exactly what happened at the Capitol that day? They really did. The tentacles then, all of a sudden, let's look at right-wing talk show hosts. Let's look at anybody who says that they don't want to take the vaccine. I mean, it suddenly became something much bigger, didn't it? Absolutely, and that was really the crux of my, you know, my disclosure that I made. You know, Just contrast it with 9-11. 9-11 was one case. It was investigated as one case. Instead, the decision was made by the higher-ups in the FBI, that they were going to break down the, the January 6th investigation into a separate investigation for every single subject. Wow. So right there, you turn one case into 800. That supports a narrative that you know violent domestic terrorism is a vastly, vastly greater threat to the country than it actually is. And then by spreading those cases around the country, which was inconsistent you know, with the, uh, the, the guidance that we have, our rule book for investigating cases, they were then able to backfill this statistical narrative that there was all this terrorists around the country instead of it all stemming from a one-time four-hour disruption at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Former FBI agent, I guess still current, but you're suspended without pay. It's uh, FBI whistleblower Steve Friend. Follow him at Real Steve Friend. What was the straw for you? I mean, at some point, they asked you to do something, I would imagine, and you said, I cannot do this. Consciously, I'm objecting. And how was that received? Was there, was there one specific duty they asked you to do that you said, that's it, I can't do that? Well, I came to the conclusion after having a couple of interactions with January 6th cases that I just didn't want to participate in any sort of arrest um, that was going to be going forward. I didn't have the opportunity to do that until uh, August of this year. So uh, as that arrest approached, that's when I came forward to my to my supervisor, voiced my concerns about you know the, the inconsistencies that we had, made that protected disclosure to him. And then also about my concerns about, you know, just being overly abusive towards the subjects. These were people that we'd actually interviewed who had said that they would cooperate with us and we were going to be using a tactical team. And, and I came from somebody with a background. I was a five-year SWAT operator uh, in my bureau career. So those were my concerns about it. I uh, voiced it to them. I volunteered to do alternate duties that day. There was a, uh, an ongoing drug a case that had a wiretap going that had to be monitored. It's right. brutal work. And uh, they said no, that that was not going to be acceptable. And they, they passed me up the chain and had to have some conversations with uh, some more leadership higher up my chain of command about my very concerns that I had voiced uh, you know, within the few days before those arrest operations in August. And again, these are arrest operations of people that you say were cooperative. They never posed any sort of threat. There was no reason to bring a tactical team. It's not like you thought they had a bunch of arms inside or they were you know, somehow human smuggling or sex trafficking. These are people that happen to be either at or in the Capitol on January 6th. I mean, there are people who have been arrested just for trespassing at the Capitol that is the people's house. It's supposed to be a place that we can visit. We certainly finance it. We fund it. So were they asking you to go and get people that you knew to not be violent, you knew to not be a risk, and to do it with this show of force that made no sense? Is that what it was? Well, to me, it didn't even matter if it was a violent allegation because if somebody who have a relationship with you, have a contact with, they might be represented by an attorney. It's a general practice by the FBI to bring somebody in with the least amount of force necessary. Right. So if you're going to use a SWAT team, it makes sense for somebody who's a drug dealer and doesn't know you've been watching them because if you go and knock on the door, he might flush the evidence. He might be, you know, put yourself in a bad situation. Right. But for somebody who actually has a sit down meeting with you and says, if you need anything from me, just let me know. You don't send a SWAT team to their house at six o'clock in the morning. It puts them at risk. It puts you at risk. And I perceived a whole bunch of you know Ruby Ridge type scenarios that the FBI, fortunately, to this point, has has been able to uh, you know tiptoe 
threw the raindrops on. But uh, I could definitely see that being an issue. And, and uh, you know, one of the three concerns is the safety of the people there, you know, when making the decision to use a tactical team. Why do you think they did it, Steve? Was it uh, the, the visual of it, the optics of it? We're going to get video of this and, and show people who would dare speak out against the other side that this might be what you get if you do that? The conclusion I have for all of this has been the process is the punishment for anybody. Right, right. You know, whether or not they're getting arrested or not, you know, I sat down in an interview with somebody who had walked into the Capitol with permission of police officers. But when I was having the interview with him, it was in a law office for an attorney he had had to retain at his own expense. He'd already been summarily dismissed from his job. He'd lost his career over it. And all he'd really done at that point was ask a police officer for permission to walk in the Capitol, walk in the Capitol, admire the artwork, and leave. And the police officer gave, uh, gave him entry. He said, sure, go ahead. Uh, there's one piece of video that you may or may not have seen. You probably have because you've seen more than I probably. Um, But a couple of cops say, listen, we don't agree with what you're doing, but it's your right to come in. They literally said that and they waved people in. So what, what is the charge then? Because if they, if you don't have video evidence or any other evidence that this person broke something, stole something, broke into Nancy Pelosi's office, whatever, they're literally just doing what they're allowed to do by touring the Capitol that anybody was able to do at any given time. What's the charge? I believe they're leaning on some parading and interference with processes, which from what I understand, the interfering with the processes is a derivative from the Enron investigation, which right. is really just destroying evidence. So it's not consistent with the spirit of that law. But from what I heard on these conference calls, you know, they were uh, reviewing these cases and saying, let's go back through the code book and see if, what else we can find. And going forward, there's actually going to be an effort to charge people who never actually breached into the Capitol. We're just standing on the outside. They're going to try to construe that as a restricted area and, and start bringing down charges for trespassing in that area, which is the lawn. It's uh, Steve Friend. He is a, an FBI whistleblower. Follow him at Real Steve Friend on Twitter, on Truth Social at Real underscore Steve Friend. Um, when it comes to to going after people like this, I, it's a very famous video now of a man's house being raided. Uh, he's taken away by an FBI tactical team, and it, it appears to be. They've got guns drawn. His wife is saying, what are you doing? You've got to tell me who you are, why you do. They, they show up in an unmarked uh, vehicle. This guy's sin was he peacefully protested at an abortion clinic. That's it. He didn't break anything, burn anything, threaten anybody. He was praying at an abortion clinic and he was taken away. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. You might be familiar with the case. But is that the same exact thing that they're trying to do? If you dare go against what we say is the righteous narrative, you're going to be in trouble. Because I don't remember them ever locking up the BLM leaders who broke laws consistently for an entire summer and beyond. Or Antifa that continues to go and take over shops in Portland and say, this is our area, nothing you can do about this. The FBI, as far as I know, is not going after them. So is that similar? Uh, are you familiar with that case I'm talking about with the man who was just praying at the abortion clinic that the FBI came in and did a raid on his house and took him away and didn't tell anybody anything? Is that the same sort of thing? Yeah, I'm familiar. I believe it's a case uh, out of Tennessee. Uh, right. But what people have to understand is that's not a SWAT team. That's actually just uh, regular agents. The problems that the, a lot of these raids, you know, quote unquote, are happening is that uh, the FBI is always, you know, prone to throw 80 bodies when, you know, four will suffice. Rather have it not need it than need it not have it. And so many agents that come through the academy just don't have the opportunity to check the boxes on these requirements for them in order to really get cut loose and get off of probation. So anytime there's an opportunity to do, engage in an arrest operation, you have a lot of these guys come out that don't have the experience. 
don't know what they're doing. And it just gives this appearance of a, a giant tactical team. I mean, you certainly bring somebody into custody. You want to have your ballistic armor on. That's why it's issued. You want to ha- you need to have your weapon out. It's no good to you if, it, you know, if it's in the holster. Uh, but, you know, for that specific case, that's somebody who, again, had a relationship with the FBI, had been interviewed, had agreed to be fully cooperative, even if charges were. And we could, you know, agree or disagree on whether or not they were warranted. Uh, from my own experience, though, you know, when uh, the Dobbs decision came down, I reached out to uh, crisis pregnancy centers because I figured that they might be at risk of domestic terrorism and might even be a resource for human trafficking, which was, you know, my my violation of concentration. Um, I was uh, told after getting a little bit of a pat on the back that I really need to focus on the abortion clinics because they were going to be the ones who are at risk, which to me just was ridiculous because in my experience, the only people that burn the city down their own city are the Lakers fans when they win the championship. <laughs> And, and and by the way, also you're attacked if you're the, the 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 pregnancy crisis center, which has been attacked, and nothing, literally nothing, has been done about it. While we try to pretend that the abortion clinics are, are the target, so you were hearing the the narrative that we ended up getting inside uh, the organization. I've only got about about a minute left with whistleblower Steve Friend. Steve, what happens now? Have you talked to Ron Johnson? Is he helping you? Are you going to testify in front of Congress? What happens now? I mean, obviously we're getting the word out, but it needs to be gotten out in front of uh, uh, members of Congress so they can do something about the out-of-control DOJ. What's the next step? Yeah, um, I, I originally brought my complaint to, to some senators' offices, but it's really the, the hope is going to rest with the House uh, the House Judiciary Committee. You know, Congressman Jim Jordan, you know, he took my complaint. He's taken multiple other whistleblowers' complaints. Um, they're laying the groundwork to, to have to do something early next year. Unfortunately, I haven't heard from them since the elections. My great fear is that it was just used as rocket fuel for a campaign, and they're going to get you know, distracted by the next shiny object. Hunter Biden's laptop is not going anywhere, folks. You need to focus on the whistleblowers because if you give us protection, you're going to have more come forward. Unless they do that, they're just going to be hitting their head against the wall and not going to have the results they want. I'm so glad that, you, that you've got a backbone and you stood up for what you believe in. Thank you. I think it's better for the country that you are speaking out. It's Steve Friend, FBI whistleblower. Go follow him now at Real Steve Friend on Twitter, at Real underscore Steve Friend on Truth. Come back on the show, would you, Steve? And I'll make sure that I mention this to Senator Ron Johnson, who's been dealing a lot with FBI whistleblowers, and he's the real deal, okay? Absolutely. God bless. All right, brother. We're back after this. Stay right here. Joe Pags. We appreciate uh, Steve coming on again. Follow him at Real Steve Friend over on Twitter. It's at Real underscore Steve Friend on Truth. And uh, I hope he gets the website up and running. I hope the Congress does the right thing with these whistleblowers once they take over. The Republicans do in the House after uh, January. Enough is enough with this kind of stuff. You can't be targeting people because of their politics. Keep it here. More to come. This is the Joe Pegg Show.